Hi, and welcome to the Crown Crane Mental Health Podcast. You are joined by Clay, and I'm here with the lovely Drea. So, Drea, if you would like to just introduce yourself and then tell me how you are today. Hi, everyone. I am Drea Lewis, um, and I'm feeling wonderful. It's it's good. I'm over here in um, the Dallas-Fort Worth Texas, and um, the weather's pretty nice today, and life is good. Great stuff, great stuff. So um, I met Drea on a Clubhouse um, in a business chat, but she came in with this really, really powerful story, which really inspired me. And I thought, wow, this I need to have you on the podcast. I need to have you on the show. Um, so just before we kind of 20, how, did, how was lockdown? What effect did it have on you with the whole COVID? Were you in lockdown at all? Um, and the whole Black Lives Matter movement, how did that impact you in 2020? Well, you know, just like, you know, any year, coming in coming out of 2019 going into 2020 was very hopeful um there was you know not i would say resolutions that were made there but there were mm-hmm. goals that i was looking to pursue and new things that i was looking to um you know, try. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest with you, I had a schedule pretty full for business and um and within the nonprofit. And by March of um, I said the first week of March, that Friday, I was actually yeah. um, at the resource center out in the community. I was teaching a class, um, a course on peer leadership for mm-hmm. a group of women who wanted to be um, peers with two other women in their community. Yeah. And I got the call saying that we weren't allowed to um, really attend any other events with more than 10 people. Now that was the first week of March by the that Friday. By that yeah. Monday, I had received another call and an email and a text um, <laughs> saying, okay, cancel everything you have on your schedule for the rest of the month, um, whether it be here or any, you know, anything that you're doing in the community um, and just, you know, stay in for now. Um, and so that's what started. You thought it would be maybe for a week or two, not really understanding still what was going on. Yeah. And lo and behold, by the end of March, it, we were shelter in place. Um, Um, And so that just kicked off a turn of events that, you know, truly, I don't think any of us could have saw coming um, the way that I feel God was moving, but yeah. You know, so the kids had, my daughter had uh, already been out on spring break. And so the week that she was supposed to go back is the week we were sheltered in place. So for the kids, it was like, oh, we get another week out, you know, so she's <laughs> excited. And I'm at the point where, okay, I guess I'll just brush up on some things, you know, for next quarter. And uh, lo and behold, it's now um, March has gone, April has gone, May has gone, and we're trying to figure things out. I am a very extroverted person. I thrive off of being in community with people. Um, I love working with people and um, not so much, you know, alone all the time. And so for me, um, the aspect of being shelter in place with just my teenage daughter who was in school majority of the day um, and my husband who was leaving for work at five, you know, a.m. in the morning um, and sometimes not getting home till six, seven. And then he needed downtime. I was missing that. um, I was missing communion with other people. I was missing relationship. I was missing conversation. Um, So it wasn't so much that it bothered me not to be able to go outside um, and be around. It just bothered me that I really didn't have anyone to pour my thoughts out to and then back having some real dialogue. Um, And so that really led me into this spiral where I finally um, 
you know, begin to tell myself, you, you, you have to get some help. You have to, you have to reach out. Um, and I found it quite interesting on the other side of it because I had been working in mental health since, um, since 2014. And so the fact that I had, it took me that long to convince myself like, okay, you've seen all the signs you're depressed. Your anxiety yeah. is through the roof. Your hypervigilance is taking over. It's time to see yeah. someone. Um, and so I just began making calls and I was able to finally get on, you know, a schedule of um, someone here in the community and begin, um, I guess I would say, be- begin my sessions. But lo and behold, I did not have a clue on what any of those sessions were going to reveal. I hmm. had no intention on going underneath. I thought it would all be surface, but there's something about when you have a um, mental health professional that just knows how to um, ask, I guess, the right questions at the right time um, and then just kind of let it breathe and let you process it and then allow you to pour out. And it was during that time, I really, truly, um, a lot of things began to come up for me. And the one main thing was my son had moved out in December of 19, and it was very abrupt. Um, The the day I found out he was moving out, he was actually taking his stuff out to his apartment. And- Oh, wow. Yes. (laughs) And so for me, I was was upset about it. I was sad about it because he was was always the person I had my conversations with. We're both readers. Mm -hmm. We like a lot. We love a lot of the same things. And so he was always Mm -hmm. the sounding board for me. Um, And, you know, while while my husband was away. And so he Mm -hmm. wasn't here. And that really, um, what I came to understand out of that second session is that I had experienced that was traumatic for me. It was like someone had taken a bandaid and ripped it off. Um, and so it allowed me to deal with that aspect of it. It allowed me to deal with the feelings that I had and the emotions that I had around it. Mm-hmm. But it also allowed me to see that because I had sunken into that place of um, depression and being in the trauma from that, that I was I was moving mm-hmm. further away from my daughter when I needed to move closer and closer to her. Um, yeah. So it really began to just reveal so many things um, in these in this, these sessions that it's like my whole life opened up before me, and for the first time I got to see. Um, where I was, I, I, you know, after further, you know, continuing now, even in therapy, I don't even know how I being in mental health, how I just never did it. I I can't even answer that question, but now being Mm -hmm. in it and my family seeing the difference, it's so, it was so easy in, um, COVID for my son to come and say at that point, um, I need help. I'm depressed. I'm over here by myself and I'm depressed. My daughter to come in at 14 years old and say, can you find me somebody to talk to? And so I be, I began to just have a feeling of gratefulness coming out of 2020 um, because mm. I realized that I had just modeled something in front of them that could help them yeah. move forward at any point in time in their lives, maybe when mom and dad is not there but they can have an unbiased person in their life that can help them walk through um, any life stage and transition, challenge, any of those things, even the good times. And so when I look back on 2020, um, outside of, you know, 
the things that we also had an opportunity to see as a country, which most of us as African-Americans had already, we've already lived it. You know, we already know mm-hmm. that it exists. Um, but the, the time and point mm-hmm. of um, Mr. George Floyd um, and before him, um, even, you know, Ahmaud Arbery and then after with Breonna Taylor, it just, it was like blow mm-hmm. after blow after blow to the point that even my son moving out, um, I would make him go home. You could, you could, I, you're 23 years old, but I'm not going to allow you to be out after, you know, the street lights go off. How crazy is that? Mm. Just because I'm, mm. I fear that at any point in time, at any point in time, you could be the next one. I fear with my mm. husband at any point in time, you could be the next one. So it was a turning of a point um, for all of us here, um, but more so in my home, in my family, um, it helped us, I think, really bind together. And not just my immediate family, but my family across the U.S. Because we started, we mm-hmm. made a decision to connect because we weren't able to travel and do all these things. We made a decision to connect and begin to um, get on this, like, um, this conference call from across the country to come and say how we we're doing, um, to see if anyone had a need, um, to pray with one another and for one another and just to hear each other's voice. And that helped to bring a peace and a calm to so many of us that was, that's been, yeah. you know, unexpected. And especially during that time, because my son found himself, you know, on the on the front lines of the protest here in our city. Um, yeah. A lot of the music he does, it's very um, much based off of equality and see us, you know, as Black people, see us as people, as human beings. And so again, that heightened my hypervigilance and need to, I don't know if it was called be mama bear, but my need to protect and then um, but God had to finally show me like I got him once you give him over to me I yeah. got him so even when he left in December when I ripped that bandaid off it's because you would have never let him leave even if he left mm-hmm. you'd have been right behind him and so I got mm-hmm. him allow him to go and experience this because he's making a difference um, in the places that I'm sending him to yeah. so yeah the whole Black Lives Matter movement um, the the trauma that we continue to experience um, in this country, mm-hmm. dealing with uh, racial inequality, discrimination, um, has somehow taken a turn, right? We've had more allies now on the other side for people of color, mm-hmm. but we still have a long yeah. way to go, a long way to go. I mean, that's, that's it's powerful. You know, it's it, we're, we're all going through the same year, but it's just, I mean, it's, it's still an issue in the UK, but, you know, just hearing that from you just shows just the differences with how much worse um, it is over there, how much more you guys are subject to that discrimination, and, you know, the lack of equality and the injustice over there, you know, because that movement and these the events that were taking place over there, you know, just being able to see that from across the pond struck and made um, an impact in the UK as well. Uh, but it's just a shame that we've still got so much further to go with making that difference, but at least we're on the right path to get in there. It's just a shame that it's yeah. taken so long. And in the, in the world that we live in now, where there are so many different things that are catered to, just the simple differences in the color of our skin are things that still hold us back. 
Um, I just wanted to quickly ask before I go into the next segment, you know, with your therapy sessions, um, what are your views on that? Because I know you're a, you're a religious person. Is your therapist someone within the church or is it he or she just a mental health specialist that's away from the faith? And what are, you, what are your views on getting counsel on life and um, getting counsel with your mental health? Being a religious person, should that come from your pastor or is it something that you feel like, you know, based on experience, it's okay for someone outside of your faith to kind of be that support? What are your views on that? I think that's an awesome question. And so I can tell you a lot of the prompting came from um, my church, um, Christian, um, from my pastor, mm-hmm. um, to the extent that we, in our um, ministry, there is a behavioral health center. <laughs> believe it or not, oh, wow. with um, licensed um, therapists, you know, within it um, from um, all walks of life, with, definitely with a Christian perspective and, and some who have come from other other religious backgrounds and maybe Christian, so they understand, you know, outside of the Christian perspective. And so that is one of the things our, our um, ministry is a big advocate for mental health. We have mental health Sundays. We have Sundays when you can leave wow. the altar and go right to the back and get um set up or signed up or choose a counselor. Um, and so we don't see it as something separate. Um, we see it as something that is integrative, you know, as God, um, just as if he can use a doctor in uh, an operating room, uh, in an, e- uh, an emergency room, why wouldn't his blessing also fall upon a therapist as well? You know, um, someone that can be that mediator and help you sit outside of who you are and who they know you to be and give a different perspective, you know, maybe based on many things that are evidence-based, but also based on their experiences Mm. as well. And so very much an advocate for it. I know um, coming from um, uh, a Baptist tradition, we never really heard a lot um, growing up about um, therapy. If we did, it was like maybe on a TV show and it was just thought of, you know, whoa, look at those people that are going to sit on somebody's couch or lay on somebody's couch. They're going to pay somebody to do that. And so it's like, nope, I'm just going to go to the church. I'm just going to go to the pastor. I'm just going to, you know, but we think about that, but we often forget that the pastor has to have someone to go to as well. You know, and so Mm -hmm. in that, Mm -hmm. I think I really got freed from that aspect of it. Um, In, I want to say it was November of 2015. Um, And specifically because I I decided to take a course. I was working with a lot of um, combat veterans um, who were suffering from either um, TBI and PTSD um, and both. And I thought that it would be great to go get more information, awareness, and knowledge around mental health, just for myself, to just be able to know how to help yeah. someone, you know, get help or wh- maybe what to, where to redirect them to, even though we had a therapist, a psychologist on board. Um, but it was in this course that it came down to um, the last uh, the day before, the day before we graduate, and we were going over, mm. um, we're speaking about um, psychotic episodes and different things. We're learning more information about that. And out of the role play and example that was given, it was like a light bulb went off in my head, and I realized for the first time that is what my mother experienced when it, that hit me like a ton of bricks um, because it literally brought me back to the time when my family and I were stationed in. In Japan, um, 
and we got a call, which we're, you know, the time difference, it was nighttime for us, it was morning time for her. And we got a call and she was stating that she had a computer was on a desk and it, and someone was looking at her through the camera, you know? And so her and I went back and forth because I just didn't understand what she was talking about. It just sounded really off to me and I just didn't understand. And it took my husband to really explain because I didn't know that she had bought a computer. I had been deployed for a while, but she had bought this computer to keep in touch yeah. with, the, with the kids while we were overseas. And so it was in that moment I realized, but for the life of me from, from, that moment until being in that class and seeing it, I always just put that at the back of my mind and threw it away like that was just crazy until I realized and I had, uh, I was in this class and they began to explain some things. And she had explained to me once before that she had had gone to see a therapist. And I was like, you did? And she said, yes. And um, that this is what the therapist told me that I'm dealing with. And so I still had taken that, you know, and put it in a drawer and closed the drawer. That was it because it wasn't a big aspect in my life. Even at that moment, I didn't think so until now sitting in this class. And so I ran out of that class that day, got on the phone before I could get to the car, called her, apologized and said, I get it. I understand. And I'm sorry. I just did not understand. I didn't have the awareness. I didn't have the information. I didn't have the education. I didn't have anyone else around me that I knew was dealing with anything remotely like this. And so I apologize and I believe you. And I think for her, she just kind of stopped to process it. And I think it, I think it mm. did something that freed her. It freed her in a way that she began telling her own story even though she had felt some backlash from some family members, she began to tell her own story um, and move forward. And it has blessed so many other people. So I see mental health as a thing that we play. We often, if some, if, if we're not feeling well, we'll, we'll run to the doctor quickly, physically. If we are diagnosed with something, we'll run and we'll try to figure out what do we do to make sure that um, we, we, we're healthy, we, 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 can, we can beat this thing, whatever it is. So why is it and what has happened in our society and our lives that will cause us not to do the same thing when we may have a challenge mentally? So when I was able to wrap my head mm -hmm. around that, I think it became even more freeing for me to be able to do outreach and advocate for mental health, for mental wellness just as much as you have people that advocate, mm -hmm. you know, for breast cancer or lung cancer or diabetes or whatever, we're no different. One is doing, one is advocating maybe for something more physically while one is advocating for something more mentally, but together it's the whole body. And so I truly believe that God is calling us to be whole and we can't be whole if we're only, um, tending to and being intentional about our physical health but not our mental health. Now, when I asked for a counselor, I specifically asked for a Christian counselor, a counselor with a Christian background. And I knew specifically I wanted that because not so much that I wanted the counselor to be able to offer me so much, you know, biblically or, you know, scripturally. I wanted to be in a session where I felt like I can be all of me and not have to go so deep into explaining where I was coming from. And so if I did it from a biblical or scriptural perspective, that this is what I know from what I read, but this is what I know from what I experienced, I wanted a counselor that can be able to meet me where I was. And I thought for me at that time, that was the best mm -hmm. thing. And ever since then, I, my 
second counselor. At that point, I was just matched with a counselor and our relationship has been the most beautiful. Like if I don't get to talk to her, in that week, I feel like it's a family member that's missing from the house that didn't come by. Um, and so, you know, I never asked her at any point. I just one day started just speaking about a situation and how I saw it, but what God spoke to me in it. And she said, well, now that you've opened up the door, I'm from the Christian faith, but I could never bring it up. You had to open up the door first. And now I can speak to you based off of that scripture. So it's it's just a beautiful thing to just have a counselor and someone that you feel like you can um, be your most vulnerable with and who will hold that for you and also keep you in a, accountable for being able to take it, process it, and then utilize it to move forward. For sure. I mean, that's that's a powerful thing. Um, was I recently, probably about three months ago, um, started going therapy. And then my therapist is also Christian. But it's something, again, like you said, it's a door that I had to open because they're not there to kind of like lead you. You're more there to, they ask certain questions to provoke you to then mm-hmm. open certain doors. They'll never open a door on your behalf. So that's that's amazing. And so it's something that I've always battled with. Sometimes within the faith, you, you go to some churches who view mental health as something that's got to be battled within the spirit realm only um whereas you know in your mind you're going through something or your experiences tell you otherwise and you know so it's just that battle so it's it's really interesting to hear that perspective and i completely agree with you on that in that sense you know can really relate to everything that you've just said on that part you know and i'm I'm glad that you know you've had such a great relationship with your therapist or counselor so that's truly amazing drea my next question is about your your military background because I know that we got to talk a little bit about that. What was it like for you transitioning from being um, within the military and then transitioning back to, you know, normal day-to-day life and being back within society? So we'll start with where were you stationed within the military? Just talk a bit about that and then just the transition of going from that to being back at home with the family and back Yes, in the and so um, I, you know, I entered, the, I entered the military when I was 17 years old. Um, literally woke up on my 18th birthday. Um, And then, (laughs) you know, had the opportunity to travel, go around the world, um, different places within the States in Florida, um, Chicago, um, Washington State um, was a a big chunk of my military um, career as well. Um, Guam was, I mean, that was a pivotal point um, in um, my my and my family's relationship with God. Um, and then I would say probably to take, bring it full circle, um, Japan, um, mainland Japan, um, Yokosuka, Japan is, was the last duty station and where we transitioned from coming back to the States. So I'm sure as you can, <laughs> can imagine, um, you're in a you're in a different time. You're in a different space. You're in a totally different country. Um, everything is pretty much set. So it wasn't even you know to the extent of transitioning from just the um, military. Um, I guess you say day to day or lifestyle. It was it was also transitioning from a location back to the state. And so that was, that took a toll on itself, right? Um, Especially when your kids have now kind of grown up there and that's all they know. And that's where their friends are, um, the most recent friends at least. And they can't just hop in a car and go visit them. And they don't understand why. (laughs) Um, 
but <laughs> I will say, you know, like I said, waking up on my in um, on my 18th birthday uh, in boot camp and then retiring at 38, um, my life was spent. I grew up in the military. My every experience, encounter, relationship, um, challenge, um, victory, celebration. Everything I knew, everything I became was based off of that structure. And so coming out of it, I asked my husband because he had transitioned several years before actually. And then he was, you know, my dependent spouse. And so I asked him, you know, like, what do you think is going to be, um, what is going to be like for me? Because I watched him and I saw the struggle that he had earlier on. But I was like, but mm. surely I maybe I must be a little bit more prepared than you were. So I wonder what is this going to look like, you know, for me? And he couldn't really tell me. And I didn't understand how he couldn't tell me until I had to go through it myself. Um, so we initially came back mm. from um, Japan. We... Um, had the first time, you know, in my life, I get to now decide where I'm going to live. Um, I don't have to wait for orders to get there. I can just choose. And if I get there and I don't like it, <laughs> we could pack up and leave. So I think that was kind of like the most exciting part about it. If we get somewhere and we don't like it, we could leave. Mm-hmm. So my family is from Louisiana. His family's from Florida. We had always said that we would go back to Florida once we retired. But somehow, um, while they were while we were in Japan, I ended up deploying. They stayed in, but they had to be evacuated because this is when the uh, tsunami hit. And when they did evacuate, um, they came, yeah. you know, back to the south. They were in Texas for a while. The kids got to go to school there and everything. And so they had kind of got acclimated to being in, you know, South Texas. And so when leaving, it was like, well, what about Texas? And I was like, really? And I knew that I didn't necessarily want to go to South Texas, but I didn't know enough about North Texas, the Dallas area. And I said, well, let's try it out, I guess. So we can go to San Antonio. We have all these options. Sometimes it's not good to have a lot of options, right? (laughs) You have a hard time making a decision. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But lo and behold, uh, we did settle on um, coming to the Dallas-Fort Worth area um, after um, a young man that I was, you know, stationed with in um, in Japan said, this is where you need to go. And this is why. And so we just based off of just that, just that. And our desire just to see something yeah. new. We showed up, we didn't know anybody. We didn't understand just how vast the Metroplex was. Everywhere we went from, from you know, driving through the interstate from one end to the other, um, through all the different counties, looking for, you know, housing, it was summertime. So we didn't understand that so many people move here. And because there are so many jobs here, it was hard for us Mm -hmm. to find um, housing. So we ended up going back to Louisiana just to get a phone call about a week or two later saying, well, we have something available if you can get here by tomorrow. And literally we threw everything in the car, packed up and drove um, back to the Fort Worth area because that's where um, they had something available. And up until I could tell you, um, up until 2018, we still had boxes, all of our boxes packed that the military delivered to us were packed still in the garage. The only thing we had in the house was some clothing we had now purchased, some furniture, because we were still waiting on the moment 
And because we're so used to leaving every two, three years anyway, we were still waiting on, is it time to go or should we stay? And it wasn't until 2018 that we settled in staying. And I have to say the reason that we end up settling in it was the transition here was difficult, one, because not really knowing the expectation. Uh, I'll say a realistic Mm -hmm. expectation. Again, I have been in the military since I was now 18. I had never held a job outside of the military, Mm -hmm. ever. So not even understanding and knowing what does the civilian workforce look like? What is that going to feel like? All I know is I'm going to take my skills that I've had from all these Mm -hmm. years and apply them in a different sector. That's the only thing I knew. Um, getting here and it not mm. being a full-on base, it's, it was, it's more of a reserve base. So the only times that it's really like maybe um, a, a lot of people are there is one week in a month when they're coming into drill where we just left a base where it's it's the whole city. Some people are on the base in Japan for two, three years and never leave. So just the dynamics of that, I yeah. think, um, was something that really just we didn't understand it was, and I was processing. Um, coming to Texas and not thinking snow, because you know I've been more so in the Houston area, now we're in North Texas in Dallas, Fort Worth, and it snowed, we were snowed in the first year we got here, and we didn't understand it. So it was just yeah. those things. I mean, when it got time to really, okay, now it's time to go and pursue, I would say, well, I, I, I coined at that point a second career. Okay, where do I want to do and where I want to go? Mm. I think I hit a wall at that point um, because the while waiting to be called back, I just, I took something to ensure money was still coming in, that we still had some livelihood outside of retirement, yeah. outside of my husband working. Um, but that particular position was a call center position. And it really, I struggled with it because again, I'm an extrovert and I struggled with being in a room all day, just waiting yeah. for a call to come through. To the point that I found myself one day, it was um, overcast outside and I found myself in a corner and I was just sitting there crying, asking God and saying, it's got to be more than this. I just remember jumping up from there and running to the living room and, um, and I'm still screaming, God, there's got to be more to life than this. There's no way that you could have allowed me to live the life that I had, even with all maybe the struggle, the, the change, the deployment, the, the moving, with all of that to come to the room. Um, I remember turning on something and I, I think I found Les Brown and I put that on real quick and it was so motivational. It like hit me in the pit of my belly. Um, but in that moment, I found hope and that hope. People don't understand the power of hope. That hope helped me to get up off the floor. And once I got off the floor, I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I just knew that something had to change. Um, It was maybe a week later Mm. that I got a call um, and I was able to pursue a position with um, a training and development um, office. And training is my thing. That's my zish. I love it. I love to teach. I love to see light bulbs coming on <laughs> in people's head when I'm talking to them. I love presenting information that either someone didn't know or they're hearing now in a different way for the first time. So I am excited. But now this is my one true test into the civilian workforce. And so I find myself not understanding the rules that need to be played. <laughs> for lack of a better term. I'm not understanding job security because we don't just get yeah. kicked out of the military for because of job security. It's got to be for some really, you know, dark things. Yeah. Um, 
But what I knew was I wanted to be doing something that would help people. And although I had the opportunity to have my own classroom and class and do different things there, I don't know, Clay, it was something about it. It still wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't fulfilling. And so I had the opportunity to attend um, this event for organization when I was going through those those dark dark moments. I had the opportunity to go Mm -hmm. to an event that they were putting on the weekend. And my whole reason for going, and I'm going to be very transparent, was just to find who was running the organization and to tell them just what I felt about them. Because I felt like in my darkest hour, (laughs) I went online and this was the resource that I was supposed to, especially as a military veteran, that I was supposed to be able to contact you and receive the resource, the referral, the support that I needed. And in my darkest hour, you were not there. I called every number, sent an email, sent smoke signals, and you guys were not there. So if it, if it happened with me, how many others are experiencing transition at this low point and have, you know, chose something different, chose to end their lives or chose to fall into an addiction to cope or whatever it was. So I wanted to go to let them know you not only failed me, think about those that we don't even know about that you may have failed. Now, I'll tell you to go to that event that morning. It was a struggle. Mm-hmm. And I understand why it was a struggle. I got out the bed to go get dressed and I went to do it and, I, and something said, no, I got back in the bed. This happened three times before I found myself in the car driving there. Mm-hmm. But once I got there and got into that first room mm-hmm. and explained that, um, there were many who were in there that had felt the same weight of it. And I just became the voice for those women in that room that day. There were also, the room was kind of split. um, And there were some women who had, you know, served during what we call um, Desert Storm in the 90s. And now women on the other side who had served during post 9-11 after um, 2011, I mean, 2001. And so in it, as yeah. we're having this conversation about things that we have been struggling with, um, post-traumatic stress, maybe some traumatic brain injury, how about female issues that never really get addressed or we succumb to or we we um, yeah. we um, suppress because we want to keep moving like the guys and now we're paying for that on this side. There was one woman that stood up in the room and asked, we just have one question, are we considered... Um, or we considered veterans on this side of the room. And that thing literally broke my heart because I realized that the identity crisis she was um, faced with in that moment was the identity crisis I had been struggling with since leaving the military and not having that structure, not having uh, maybe that position, um, not having a certain level of authority, a certain level of responsibility. Um, and so although different, she um, we explained to her in, the, in that moment I said, yes, you are. You are definitely, everyone in this room, we're all veterans. Um, And I said, it took me a while to get there, but I had to have someone that had to take me to lunch and shake me and say, you can't come out of the military putting all this weight upon yourself to be a civilian. You haven't been a civilian since you were 17 years old. What makes you think that you're going to come out and really just hit the nail on the head? Rest in who you are. You are a veteran. Build within your veteran community and then you'll integrate a lot easier. It'll help your transition. That was the beginning of me understanding or giving myself, I think at that moment, I think it was, I felt that I'd been given an identity. And you know, I say, I keep saying identity, but you know, just as African-Americans or 
us, we already struggle with identity, right? Um, we hear the stories of our ancestors, mm -hmm. but we don't know them, you know? We hear the stories of Africa, mm -hmm. but how many of us ever get the opportunity to ever take a trip there? We hear the stories of tribes. Mm -hmm. And although even in the U.S. they've coined this thing about being tribal and finding your tribe, we, we can't because our true tribes are not here. Mm. And so, you know, in a, in a mm. mentally, we lack identity and we were brought here and we were given, you know, someone else's identity. And that's what we have lived with, you know, our lives. So then when we take on not only a familial, uh, you know, a tribal identity from where we're at now, but all the other identities from jobs and being a mom and a wife and, a, you know, all these different things, you know, it can have you pretty screwed up in the head mm -hmm. if I'm myself. <laughs> But we don't often look at it that way. But for me, as I started to work with myself and figuring out, you know, what is it I'm struggling with the most? It was answered for me in that room one day. It was my identity. It was my identity. So I had to go back and really start to look at who I was today if I couldn't find who I was yesterday or if I couldn't go back to who I was the day before. I had to learn simple things, simple things. And I would say, I don't know how long transition is supposed to last. I think it's different for every person. Um, and I now am able to look back mm -hmm. on that and see that even with my husband, although he discharged from the military in 1998, I can still see there are certain things um, mm -hmm. every now and then. And so I no longer put the pressure on myself to to rush this thing called transition, but to settle in it, to find my place in it, to grow in it, um, and when I need to seek the help that I need to help me keep one foot in front of the other. For sure. And, you know, most importantly, at, at, at a pace that suits you, not at a pace that you're expected to um, to kind of make that transition. Because all of this kind of reminds me to that statement that you made about um, just even choosing your outfit in the morning. Like, I, I don't want to ruin it for the people. So I think it's, it's only best that we kind of end on that one where you say it. And it was such a powerful thing. Like, it, it really just wrapped up the whole perspective of you searching for your, for your identity or even being in that place of limbo where we take all of these little things for granted. But, you know, I'll let you say that statement and then, you know, yeah. we'll kind of wrap so absolutely. Um, Go ahead. You know, the biggest struggle in, in going from now in a room and... Uh, in, my, in a room in my house from a call center to having to go now out into um, the civilian workforce, what I had never, ever considered was, okay, you know, what am I, what are you going to wear? What are you going to wear to work today? I never, from 17 to 38, I never had to ask myself that ever. <laughs> it was automatic. It was a uniform. You knew what, what, what accessories went with it. You knew how your hair had to be. You knew down to what earrings and socks you had to have on. And so now to come out in my first week and trying to get myself together and wrap my head around, whew, okay, I get to leave the house and be around people. That's where my focus was until that first morning. Um, and I went through two or three outfits. And then a week later, it's the same. And then two weeks later, it's the same. And for me finally realizing I have a problem. Like I have a, like, what is going on? And I don't mean like, oh, I don't like this color, whatever. It was just like not really knowing what I felt one confident in, <laughs> what, what was, you know, what was acceptable to an extent to wear 
And I would go through that morning to morning mm-hmm. to the point I'd sweat. I'd have to get back in the shower, come out and just tell myself, doesn't matter what you think now, put whatever you find when you walk out the when you walk out the bathroom, that's what you're going to put on. But I had to deal with that until I went somewhere and began to speak on it. And I realized there were other women in the room that were dealing with the same thing. Also dealing with the hairstyle. I've been groomed to wear my hair a certain way for over 20 years. And now you mean to tell me I can kind of do what I want with it? Okay, well, that's, a, that's too much to see. That's too many options. Like I said about where I can live. That was so many options. How do I move through that? Mm. How do I narrow that down? Down to what is, somebody asked, well, what is your favorite color? And I was like, I don't know, brown? And then they frowned at me like, brown cat is nobody's favorite color. And I was like, why? I like brown. <laughs> I like that like that color family, the tans. And they're like, that's just odd. Most people say this, this, that. Mm. So it left me questioning, what well, is that my favorite color? Oh, why did I say that? Is that more to deal with my mood and personality? Or is that a color that I like? You know, the little things that um, in transitioning from one, I would say, sector of life into another. In transition, like I said, could be different for so many people. Um, and it could be just life transition, right? Mm-hmm. Just the just the introspection mm-hmm. or the lack of introspection that you have going into transition, I think is what can make it the hardest. When you don't know certain things about yourself, what makes you tick? What gets you going? What's a trigger for you? What color do you like? Do you like heels or flats? Um, <laughs> you know, do you like, I've had to run now over 20 years. Do you like running? Do you like biking? Some of the most simple things mentally can often weigh on us. Um, and, and we take them to be some simple things, but they're life-changing. They're life-altering. Because once you come into the knowledge of who you are and what you like and what I can I can definitely tell you, I know what color I like. I know what I can put on and what makes me feel comfortable. I know how I like to wear my hair. I know on days I want to wear makeup or not. I know these things, but I've done the work um, through introspection and finding my way through um, creating and establishing a relationship with me. And that's been one of the greatest gifts that I've, I feel like God has allowed me to, to have is to have a relation, a sound relationship with myself. Amen. You know, it's, it's, it's such a powerful, powerful testimony. It's a powerful um, attestment to your story, to your journey. You know, everything that you've been through from 17 all the way up until now, you know, it's, it's really, really encouraging. Um, and, you know, even just hearing that piece about identity um, in the back of my mind, I was thinking about a friend of mine that I interviewed on here mm-hmm. two days ago, um, Lorraine, who also kind of just is going through a similar transition. Um, and even the last male guest that I had on there, Elijah, again, the same thing, identity and finding himself. And, you know, like once I figure out how to have more than one person on here, it would be really, really great to kind of connect you guys and even just do just to share some wisdom, to share some en- en- encouragement and then some empowerment um, across, you know, just two females and just your wisdom. You know, because you sound like so, so wise when you speak and it's so moving. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd hate for that to go to waste. Not that it's going to waste where it is right now. If we can use it on the platform, definitely would love to have you back on just to kind of just share more of that encouragement and more of that um, empowerment to females and males equally, you know, struggling with the same thing. Really been great to have you on. It's been great to listen to your story, listen to your background, listen to your struggles, and then listen to where you've 
been and then where you're at now and just the power that you speak with because it's real it's raw it's moving honestly thank you so much for you know being a guest on the show today Drea I'll definitely be keeping in touch and as soon as we can have you back absolutely like to come back on absolutely and the pleasure is all mine I am truly honored I'm I am honored um, to be here and sit here and have this conversation with you um, because even through you know having these conversations healing takes mm-hmm. place and because it's over the airways you know my prayer is that it not just take place for me you know having this conversation with you today and possibly something that you know that resonated with you but for others who will listen as well um, and so I am I'm not sure if you guys are on LinkedIn but I'm on LinkedIn at Strea Lewis and then um, you can go to a site for my nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called at easetexas.org so A-T E-A-S-E T-X dot org. 